Welcome to Diverse, the podcast of the Society of Women Engineers. SWE supports the advancement of women in engineering and technology. You can find all of our podcasts on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and SWE's blog all together at altogether.swe.org. Looking for more information and data on women in engineering? Head over to research.swe.org and review the groundbreaking research that SWE has been conducting. SWE's research efforts include reporting on women of color in engineering and how community colleges may play a role in getting more women to graduate with engineering degrees. You can also check out the annual SWE Literature Review in SWE Magazine's State of Women in Engineering issue. Hi, I'm Heather Doty, FY21 President of the Society of Women Engineers. Welcome to SWE's Diverse Podcast Series. Please remember to add this podcast to your iTunes or Spotify and like or follow us on social media. Visit SWE.org for more details. I'm joined today by Rasha Hassanin, Vice President of Innovation and Product Management Excellence at Train Technologies. Train Technologies is a global climate innovator that brings efficient and sustainable climate solutions to buildings, homes, and transportation through its Train and Thermoking brands. Rasha has been with the company since 2017 and is responsible for driving functional excellence, building product management capability, and incubating and accelerating innovation across the company. Through various leadership roles and data-driven solutions, Rasha has transformed the customer experience for companies, including Train Technologies, GE, SAP, Hitachi, Lucent Technologies, and GM. Rasha has a PhD in chemical and petroleum engineering, business and public policy from Texas A&M University, a master of science in industrial engineering and engineering management from Stanford University, and a Bachelor of Engineering and Management in Mechanical Engineering from McMaster University. She is also a registered professional engineer. Thanks for joining us today, Rasha. Thanks for having me, Heather. I'm excited to be here. So let's start with something a little bit easy. Tell us a little bit about yourself. What initially sparked or inspired your interest in STEM? Sure. So I would say I thought I wanted to be an engineer probably since I was eight years old. Um, I grew up in in uh, Greensboro, North Carolina, and um, they back in the day, this was sort of the beginning of what they would what they would consider their gifted and talented program. And so I had the opportunity to sort of work outside of class and experiment with a bunch of different things, whether it's sort of advanced physics or advanced biology or even some advanced reading um, and problem solving. And I realized there were two things I loved. One was really, um, building things um, from nothing. And the other was solving problems. And and that sort of just grew with me over time. I love to solve puzzles. I love murder mysteries. And, um, and I and I love sort of building things from the ground up. And so um, it's been a long time with me. Um, and, it, and it's really, you know, that combination of experiences and, and teachers along the way that have helped me sort of grow my interest in engineering. That's great, especially that you got um, inspired so young. Yeah, that I was a geek to start. I'm still a geek now. All good. <laughs> a badge we all wear with pride, definitely. Yep. <laughs> Walk us through your academic and professional accomplishments. Where'd you um, Where'd you go to school? I guess I kind of mentioned that already, but how did your studies influence your career path? Sure. Little known fact: I went to high school in Saudi Arabia in sort of a little girl's private school. And um, 
I wanted, I, again, I knew I wanted to be an engineer and there, you can do engineering in Saudi. I'm not from Saudi. My parents were working there. Um, and so it became a thing to like be able to do engineering um, in university. So when I, when I went to, um, to McMaster, I was super excited. Um, it was sort of my first, um, my first foray into engineering. And, and um, at the time, my dad, who's um, an accountant, talked me into doing um, a management minor. And so McMaster had a, had a dual degree program, which I loved. Um, and I realized that I actually loved engineering and I really liked business. And so all, you'll notice all of my degrees beyond that had some element of either business or public and or public policy. Um, and, and what became sort of very clear as I progressed through both my academic career and my professional career was um, was that blend of technical and sort of strategic was what I really loved. And so the bigger the problem I wanted to, I needed to solve, the better. And so the opportunity to solve bigger and bigger problems meant I needed to understand how those problems related to, to business. And that's kind of how it, how it progressed. But I got to tell you, like, it wasn't that planned. It's not like I woke up and said, hey, this is how I'm going to get to do stuff I love. It was very opportunistic. It was, I was given an opportunity. Um, I wanted to make the best of the opportunity. Um, and then I developed a love for certain things as I did those jobs and started to identify those things that I really loved. And it was the same thing uh, with sustainability. Again, I didn't grow up wanting to you know, combat climate change. I wasn't a vegetarian who wanted to save um, animals <laughs> growing up. Um, I was I was somebody who developed a love for sustainability um, and and looked at climate change as sort of the ultimate big problem to solve. And so it became a personal interest of mine and then it became a professional interest. And now it's sort of a core part of my career. And so, you know, my um, I would say, I wish I could say I had some grand plan to be, you know, the vice president of innovation somewhere, but, but I didn't, I, I really didn't. I think that's great though, that you, you admit that. Cause I think a lot of, especially our, our younger members and, and whatnot think that they should have their whole lives figured out. And, you know, I would say my life's been kind of similar. It's, it's a mix of right. what, what do you want to do right now? What do you want to do next year? And what shows up in your path that inspires and changes you? So I think that's great. Yeah. And it's tough, right? I mean, I mentor a lot of, of younger engineers and, you know, and they're like, well, I don't know if this experience is going to get me where I want to be. I'm like, man, you don't know what experiences are going to get you where you want to be. <laughs> right? right. But it's this, you know, it's trying to, to impart this sort of, hard earned um understanding of everyone sort of the 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 phrase everyone has a plan until you get punched in the face right like why do you got to wait till you get punched in the face like like right plan <laughs> have aspirations have a vision and be flexible enough to to meander and go where life takes you cuz where you might land is better right totally well, looking a little bit into where you are now, what are your um, professional goals as vice president of innovation and product man management excellence at Train Technologies? Um, well, look, I think I'm, I mentioned, I, you know, um, one of my passions is around um, is around sustainability, and um, you know, earlier this year we, you know, we launched um, Train Technologies. Um, it was a result of sort of um, uh, a, a split 
of, of Ingersoll Rand and, and Train Technologies is now really um, a, a global sort of innovator in the climate space. And so and it, so the ability to really focus on this, the impact that the train can have on sustainable on the sustainability sort of of the planet is super exciting. It's it's super inspiring to me, and that's really core to our purpose at Train. And so one of my professional goals is to um, is to see like innovations that I help bring to market really bend the curve on climate, and I think we can. Um, and the company is dedicated to doing it. Our leadership is dedicated to doing it. Um, we have very, very bold 2030 sustainability commitments. They're they're core and central to our business strategy. I don't know that I have an innovation project in the pipeline that doesn't have a strong focus on adding value to customers while improving the sustainability of the industry. And so, um, so for for me, that's kind of my personal goal. Um, is to really see, you know, see innovations and products that I help bring to market really have an impact on the world in that way. Right, right. Um, and this this question might be fairly related, but we'll see if it takes us in a different direction. Um, what changes specifically would you like to see happen over the course of your time with Train Technologies? And how will innovation play that role? Yeah. So... No, I love this question because it is a, a little bit different. One is kind of what do you want? What do I want to do? And that's kind of what I want to do. The other one is kind of what I what I would love to see, which may have a lot with to do with what I want to do, but maybe not. Look, I would love to see you know train uh, through the work we're doing really be able to influence the industry to drive um, a more sustainable. HVACs and, and refrigeration solutions. And, and the reason I care is because like um, right now in a lot of countries, a lot of uh, HVAC or, or cooling um, and heating is considered a luxury, right? And um, we, we'd look at life-sustaining cooling um, for people and that, you know, the ability to make that affordable and sustainable without sort of killing the planet um, is is something I would love to see happen, you know, in my lifetime, hopefully in my tenure, but have train really influence the industry in that way. And it's the same with refrigeration. If you look at just what we consume every day and how much of that relies on refrigeration, whether it's food or pharmaceuticals or vaccines, or even, you know, when you go give blood at the blood bank, you know, Thermaking, our, our refrigeration, uh, our transport refrigeration brand has a lot to do with that. And again, there's only going to be more of that, right? As as the population increases and and um, and we start to bring a lot of that technology to the emerging economies, you know, we've got to find a way to bend the curve so that every time we add more people into the middle class, we're not, you know, killing the planet further and further. And I just love to see us start to bend that curve during my time here, and I think we can. Train can't do it alone, but we we believe that we can really sh- shift the the focus of the industry, and and that the industry has such a huge role to play on climate change that I think we can do that. The other thing I'd really love to see dif- happen differently is um is is around diversity and a lot of and it I, again I'd be remiss if I didn't at least talk about some of the big changes here in the U.S. and I understand. 
you know, the, the world is kind of looking at us in terms of the focus on diversity and the need for, um, for, for social equity um, at all levels. Um, certainly the U.S. is not is not the only country that faces this, but we're we're certainly it's certainly prominent for us. But but I would love to see more people that look like me, and that means you know you know I'd love to see more women. I'd love to see more people of color, and I think that at Train we have such a focus on that. Um, it's um, it, I, I think we can do it. I think we can get there during my tenure there, and and it's not just because I'd love to see more people that work like me, but that look like me. But at the same time. We know that diversity um, drives innovation. We know that diversity and inclusion working together um, enable heterogeneous teams to perform way better than teams that are more homogenous. You you get better answers. You solve problems better when you have those diverse points of view. And again, I'm all about solving these big problems. Without that diversity, I don't know that we can solve that first problem we're talking about, about bending the curve without that. And so the more of that we can have, um, the more it is going to be sort of really critical. Absolutely. hundred percent agree. Of course, that's why SWE exists, right? Is to improve exactly. diversity. And uh, yeah, because we all know that to be true. So um, I'm glad you touched on that. How can others in the industry create a more diverse, inclusive environment within their companies and teams? Yeah, look, that's a tough question. And it's a, it's a, it's not, it's an easy question, but it's a hard answer. I think that's the the way I look at it. I think we've been trying to crack this nut um, for a long time here, um, especially in technical and STEM fields, to be fair. Um, and I, I don't claim to have a silver bullet because I don't think there is one. I think it's a, it's a number of little things, but diversity and inclusion has to start at the top. And actions have to match words. And so, um, so, so I would say leadership at the top has to be really focused, not just to changing the culture, but to changing themselves, right? And, um, and in order to do that, you know, um, our leaders have, have continued to demonstrate this. They continue to learn. We are not perfect and we're not, you know, we're, we're still working every day to try and drive that level, those levels of diversity and inclusion but um, but but leaders are directly directly responsible for promoting, for hiring, for retaining, for making action, for for doing the things that keep people. They're also responsible for doing the things that drive people away. Um, and we know, you know, a lot of studies have shown that pe- that people don't leave companies; they leave, you know, managers and they leave leaders. They lose faith in their ability to grow and. That's a direct responsibility of, of leadership. And so for me, I think that there that the the diversity has to start at the top for sure. I think we need to engage non-diverse individuals in the conversation. I'm I'm a huge supporter of um of our employee research groups. I mentor a lot of diverse people in the organization and have for sort of most of the organizations I've worked for. Um but eventually those conversations are the same conversation with the same people, right? If we don't start to engage the non-diverse workforce and have that behavior change, there just isn't enough of us to be able to, again, bend the curve up from a diversity perspective. And I think that's really important. 
And then I would say every one of us is is responsible for continuing on that journey. Um, we have an individual responsibility to do all of the small things um, that we need to to do. We need to ask for different points of view. We need to champion um, others. Um, we need to ensure that micro inequities aren't aren't happening. And we're also kind of responsible for building that network and, and helping kind of spread the word around the value of diversity and inclusion. I don't think this is not new for the women at SWE. This is not new for women in the workforce in general. We need to continue to do those things and we need to be bold and start to engage different people in the conversation. Absolutely. Great, great comments. Um, speaking of being a, a woman in a male-dominated industry, what kind of obstacles have you faced as a woman in engineering, and how did you overcome them? So there's a few a few things, right? Um, everyone who will listen to this podcast, everyone who um, will will talk to you at the conference will feel what I what I feel, right? It's a it continues engineering continues to be a male-dominated industry, even when you're an engineer in a technical company, not practicing engineering, where you're doing sort of innovation or you're doing product management excellence, these line functions continue to be very male dominated. Um, so I'm, I, you know, for me, I, I have had fantastic mentors who have been um, sounding boards, who've helped me see things differently, who've helped me self-reflect. I've had, I've had, you know, some sponsorship, um, not nearly as much as I've had mentors, but we all know that story. Um, and I continue to try and build strong networks. And, and that's not natural for me. I will tell you that um, I learned early I needed to build strong network networks, but I also understood that it wasn't where my happy place is, right? My happy place is solving big problems with teams, not necessarily networking with people who are outside my, my core team or who are across the company or, or who may have that next opportunity. And so I had to make an effort and expend the energy to do that. And I, and I would say that that helps. Um, the other thing that I find helps is, um, and we know, you know, I, I'm sure everyone's gotten this coaching is um, you, you, you have to develop some thickness of skin and not take things too personally. And not because that makes other people feel better, but because it makes you feel better, right? Um, I hate when people say, oh, no, you don't take that too personally. There are some things that I take very personally, but what I found was by by focusing on the things that are really important to me and letting other things go, it helped me sort of balance my own temperament. And so it was more for me than it was to make other other people feel better. And a lot of times you can say a lot of things with humor that you can't say by being, you can be much more direct with humor than you can. <laughs> yeah right? Then you can by he taking things head on. And so leveraging humor and, and a little bit of sarcasm, especially dry humor, um, my own sort of quirkiness, right? Again, when you're really good at something and you've got that self-confidence, um, the or organizations will allow you to be a little quirky. They'll allow you to just be who you are. And so, so you've got to not, you've got to demonstrate that and own it. Right. And then leverage those strengths to communicate those big messages you want to get across uh, versus trying to sort of fight every fight, if that makes sense. Totally. Everything is about priorities. And I think right. you're kind of setting out. It's like, you know, choose, choose. I don't know. Battles isn't necessarily the right word. I don't care for the war analogies, but like, yeah, right. choose what you're going to focus on and, and let some other stuff go. I think that's really, really great advice. Right. 
And I'm okay. Look, it also helps to be a black belt in karate. So there you go. People, people can think. <laughs> it does. That's awesome. Yeah, exactly. So I'll tell you, I'll tell you a funny story. Um, so I, um, on my resume, at the bottom of my resume, I am a member of Mensa and I am, I have a national um, uh, title in martial arts. And I put those side by side at the very bottom of my resume. One, to test if people have read my resume. But two, just to see, I get 10 times more comments on the martial arts every time than I do on the Mensa. I'm like, wait, the fact that I can like solve really big problems and I'm super smart, that has nothing to, you just want to know if I can beat you up. The answer is yes (laughs) and yes. (laughs) Yeah. I think people are interested in things that make you stand out. I mean, I have a music degree and that was always the first question I'd get asked in any technical interview. So you have a music degree? (laughs) Right. 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 Yeah. well, switching things up a little bit, moving moving out of the professional realm a bit, it can be difficult as a working woman, especially one in a leadership role, to find a healthy work-life balance. What do you do to unwind and disconnect from your professional responsibilities? That Get is people up. That is the story. Yeah, right. For a while, I did. I I retired a while ago, but yeah, um, that's the that's the million dollar question, right? Because, um disconnecting from work doesn't necessarily mean unwinding if you've got family responsibilities, right? So I don't have children, but I am, but I do care for my, uh, for my parents. So I'm their, their primary caregiver and they live with me. So um, I, you know, a lot of the, the balance that I do, the things that help keep me balanced is sort of helping them. Um, it's not necessarily un- unwinding, though. So um, what I've found is um, I, you know, I've taken up some hobbies with my mom. So things she likes to do. So she likes to garden. So what ends up happening is, you know, she has a green thumb and I have muscles. And so I end up digging holes, which can be which I found can be very therapeutic. Um, but then stuff grows. And even though she is all of the sort of the know how to do it and all I again, did was dig holes. It's very rewarding um, to, to do. And so, um, so that's what I, that's what I try to do to balance is I try and find things where I can spend time with my, with my parents um, and, um, and unwind that doesn't involve an extra thing. Right. Um, I would say before my parents became older, I, you know, I'd go to the spa or I would, uh, you know, retail therapy is a thing. I did a lot of martial arts, um, but I would say um, more recently, what I've been trying to do is find things that really help us, you know, stay connected, right? Um, versus trying to kind of isolate and unwind and, and really find joy in that. And it's kind of mind over matter, right? Even if you, even if I didn't enjoy gardening before, it's like, okay, well, this is my new workout. I can find joy in that. So there you go. I love how you're putting all that stuff together. You're getting a workout. And I also love how you're sharing, you know, I have only this small piece of it, but that doesn't diminish the satisfaction you get. Um, I think it's similar in a work team, right? Nobody right. is an island, but it's like I had this one small piece, but I, you can feel great pride in the overall end result. I think that's awesome. I will tell you I'm a geek in that too. So I told my mom like, okay, so I'm going to help you dig holes, but then we have to try this like a hydro- hydroponic thing. And then eventually I want to do aquabrat because it's geeky, right? It's like tech yes. and gardening. And she's like, yeah, we're not doing that. You can do that in your room. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> I guess I'm doing that in my room. 
It doesn't always work both ways to like no, mix the stuff up, right? It yeah. doesn't, but I can still be geeky and now like I know more about indoor agriculture now than I ever did, which is great because we, you know, we have a we have a a, a business in, in indoor agriculture. So there you go. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. So you've already had some great advice, but if you could give one piece of advice to current engineers who'd like to move up the leadership ranks, what would that be? Yeah. Um I would say, look, um, I'll just recap a couple of things. I'll do a couple more. So like, don't say no to opportunities because you don't feel like they line up directly with what, you know, what your plan is, right? So, so definitely think about challenging yourself and, and even if it's like a really bad situation, or even if it's something you don't think you'll enjoy, find the one thing you're going to take away from the experience before you move on to the next experience. So I would say, look, I've had, we've all had bad bosses. And, you know, every time I walk away from a, a situation, it's like, what did I learn from that role? And how is that role better? Because I was in it. And even if it means that the team felt more empowered or the, or I left a team that was more diverse than the team I inherited, or maybe I learned, you know, I worked for, for consultants for parts of my career and I, you know, I have like really great PowerPoint skills. Um, you know, whatever it is that you can, can walk away from that learning, you know, take it down to that and then start to focus on learning everything you can about that thing as you work through the role. Um, so that's, that's, again, this is kind of the, the mind over matter. I, I genuinely believe that, um, that happiness is um, an internal thing. <laughs> so there's a lot of really happy people don't have a lot in the world. And there's a lot of people that have a lot in the world that aren't happy. So it's internal. Um, but what I would say is just think about what you're going to take away and how you're learning. Make sure you surround people who are different from you. And that's hard when you're diverse because part of it is you want to have diversity and bring and, and pull people up. But remember that, you know, even if you're diverse and you have a whole lot of people that look like you're, you're also not going to have the best answer. So make sure that you have people on your teams, on the teams you pull together ad hoc that think differently, that act differently, that see things differently because you'll have, you'll get a, you'll get a better answer. And I would say be bold. Look, identify that one thing that you're really, really, really good at. Own it. And then be bold about how you you show up and how you say what you say and do what you do. Um, because I think for a lot of us, we've been, you know, as we've come up through the ranks, we've all kind of walked the line and sort of towed the line um, in order to get to get ahead. And, and I'm not saying not to do that, right? You have to figure out how to work within the culture in which you work. But figure out those few things that you can be really bold about and make that your brand. Because if you, if you love what you're doing and you're bold about it, then it'll be really easy to maintain that brand over time. And as long as what that is is something that the organization values, then you're going to continue to progress. Whereas if you kind of waffle back and forth, um, one, you're not going to be happy and you need to be happy. But two, it's harder to be authentic um, and with your brand. And so, you know, and, and that's really important to me, right? My brand has to be authentically me. 
So I don't go out and try and create a brand that isn't there, right? Um, with within the organization, your personal brand has to be very authentic, and it'll be a lot easier for all of all of us and me included, right? If we can stay true to that brand while while our reputation grows and precedes us. That makes sense. That's, I sometimes I totally. don't make sense when I talk, but no, I made sense. I, it's silly because we're on a podcast and you can't see me. I'm smiling and nodding along with everything you're saying. So I know it. I know it. <laughs> it's hard. Yeah, it's so, hard. Video will be here soon. So yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Well, those are some great insights. And Rasha, I want to thank you again for taking the time to speak with us today and, and, and providing those valuable insights for our current and future engineers and leaders. Perfect. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. I've had a fantastic time talking with you, um, Heather. I think it's going to be, um, I'm really looking forward to the conference. I was looking forward to it last March. So I'm really looking forward to it. Um, and, um, and thank you for having me. I mean, I, I really enjoy, uh, spending time with, with, with the society of women engineers and women engineers in general and anything I can do to help, um, I will do. So thank you. Absolutely. I appreciate it. And I also was looking forward to the conference in March and looking forward to the next one. So, um, That'll be good. hopefully everything works out. So thanks again. Thank you. I'm Heather Doty for all of us at SWE. Thanks for listening.